So this morning we're looking at Colossians 1, uh, verses 3 through 14. Colossians 1, 3 through 14. Now, I want to I be up front with you. This um, is an edited, redone version of a, of a teaching I did seven years ago. So a lot of you weren't, weren't even here anyway. Uh, but I want to I recognize this, and I'm doing this for two reasons. First, because there's some, some good ideas in here. Uh, second, because uh, I was sick last week, and I, it wiped, wiped me out for a good portion of the, of the week. So, um, so I'm like, I need some help. So I helped myself, um, and I went, went back. Um, so that's what's going on. But I, but I think this is some important stuff um, and some really good ideas. So Colossians 1, 3 through 14, you'll find it on the screen behind me or in front of you. If you've got it with you, you can follow along that way too. Before we read, let's pray. God, thank you for, um, for your word. Thank you for this book. Holy Spirit, we trust now that you are fulfilling your promise to be with us always. And that in these next few moments, minutes, uh, you will speak to us in, in the ways that we need it. Amen. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You heard it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. We'll go that far. I'll be honest with you, when, like, when you read that, sometimes it's like, what do you, what do you, what do, you do with that? Because there's a lot there. Like that is a densely packed, that's densely packed. Um, so we're going we're gonna to eventually get there. We're, we're going to focus on uh, a main idea and three little sub-ish ideas. And I know you're not shocked because I always do the three thing because um, that's, 
that's the way I like to do things. But I want us to, I want us to think about the answer to this question. Uh, who are you? Like deep down, who are you? Who are you really? Like, do you know your identity? When someone asks us that question, a lot of times we'll start with our name, right? Because our names sort of uh, identify us with a certain family. And so we're connected. We're identified by what family we belong to. But what if people pressed us further than that? No, no who, who are you really? Maybe we would respond by talking about by talking about what we do for a living, right? We tend to identify ourselves by our occupation. Who are you? Well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. Well, I'm, a, I'm a teacher. I'm a professor. I'm, you know, we identify ourselves by, by what we do for a living. Or maybe we'd start talking about our families. We would talk about our spouse and how wonderful they are. We would talk about our kids and about how amazing they are. We might start talking about where we're from, where we grew up. Or if you're younger, you might answer that question by talking about your parents. Well, my parents are so-and-so, and this is what they do for a living. You might talk about what school you go to. You might talk about how you're involved there. Well, who am I? I I'm involved in band, orchestra, chorus. I'm involved in some sport. You might even talk about what you plan to do after you graduate from school. Well, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to go to college. When someone asks that question, who are you? Who are you? You might start talking about all the things that we've accomplished. I graduated from such and such a place. Top of my class. I got this degree. There are literally thousands of things that we could talk about that would help people identify us. Thousands of things we could get into. But if we really think about all those things, usually the things that we use to identify ourselves are, aren't necessarily the deepest things, the foundational things. A lot of times they're sort of surface things because that's the world we live in. The world tells us that our identity is, is wrapped up in what we do for a living. Our identity is, is wrapped up in how many things that we can accumulate or what kinds of things can we accumulate? It's the stuff that we acquire that gives us a certain sense of status, identity in this world. The world tells us that our identity is wrapped up in how we look, in knowing the right people and having the right connections or the things that we've accomplished. Now, most of those things are important. Let's just be honest about that, too. Like, those things are important, but are they foundational? Right? Is there anything else about our identity, any one thing that affects, transforms, influences all of those other things that I just talked about? Of course there is. And I think you, you know what it is too because, well, we're Jesus people, right? We're followers of Jesus. We believe in the Bible. The scriptures are sort of a guide for us. We think about the ideas in there. And so if we, if we read the Bible we come to the conclusion that it's only in Jesus that, that we find out who we really are. It's only in Jesus that we find out what our true identity really is. So we're going to sort of explore that idea, our identity. Paul, Paul says in a lot of places, I am in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? And he gives us some ideas. So we're going we're gonna to start by doing a little exercise uh, a little mental exercise, and it's a, I think it's an important exercise for us to do 
um, on occasion. Uh, and it might seem weird at first, um, but there's a point to it, and it, it, it won't be weird forever. Um, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to identify a time in your life that makes you feel squeamish. Identify, bring it to mind. Maybe it happened this morning or yesterday or a few, a few days ago, or maybe it's a long time ago. Identify a time in your life that makes you feel a little squeamish, that makes you, that it's almost makes you feel ashamed to think about it. Maybe it's something you've done. Uh, maybe it's a relationship you've messed up. Maybe it's something you said to somebody to simply hurt them. Maybe it's something you didn't know, do, but you should have done. Right? If we're all honest, we've all got these things, so bring those to mind right now. Okay, and on the count of three, we're just going to say them out loud, and no, we're not going to get weird. <laughs> Don't do that, but you, you've, you've got that? Okay. Hear these words. You have been rescued from that. Jesus has rescued you from that. Jesus has rescued you from the dominion or power of darkness and has brought you into the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of light. You have been rescued from that. In other words, our identity isn't defined by our past. Our identity isn't defined by the things that we think we've done against the divine, against God. Our identity isn't, isn't defined by all of the ways in which we've made a mess of things. No, the foundation of our identity isn't in what we've done or haven't done. It's in what God has done for us in Jesus. We have been rescued from that, rescued from darkness. But here's the deal. And I don't know if this is just part of, of what it means to be a human being. Um, but whatever it is, we, we have a tendency to hold on to that stuff for a really long time. We have a tendency to, uh, to walk around with, a, with a, sometimes a deep sense of guilt or a deep sense of regret, a deep, a deep sense that we just don't, don't measure up. We, we sometimes walk around with a, a sense of shame, a deep sense of high anxiety over the things that we've done or haven't done. And that has a powerful effect on our lives. It, it weighs us down, I think. Um, and I think sometimes it it keeps us from becoming who, who God intended us to be, right? So remember the show, The Biggest Loser? Remember that show? Ray and I used to love to watch that show. So for, for some of you who don't know what that show was or, or you were too, you're too young to know it, um, the show was all about um, a bunch of contestants joined the show because they had they had weight to lose, and so they would go they would exercise and train and eat right and 
the person who lost the greatest percentage of weight, um, the biggest loser was the winner. Does that make sense? So, uh, so they would train and work, and, hard, and it was fun to watch them um, because, man, some of these people just put everything into it. And it was incredible watching people lose and incredible, literally transform their lives. So there was this one season where it was near the second to last episode. I'll never forget watching this play out. So I'm going to describe it to you, but I'll never forget watching it and crying, uh, watching this exercise. So there were the final four contestants. It was the, the episode before the final. Um, they had, most of these people had lost 100 pounds or more. Uh, and they're like well-toned. They look like well-toned athletes by this point. Um, they, had to, they went to a golf course, and they had to strap onto their bodies all of the extra weight that they had lost over the previous months. And they had to walk to each hole, and once they got there, they would be able to drop some of the weight that they had lost. But as you watch these people walk with all of that extra weight on their bodies, you could see they could barely do it physically. And emotionally, it was really hard because they're remembering this is how I used to live. And they would crawl up hills to get to a green just to release some of that weight. And the ability to just release some of that weight their emotions were just well up inside it. And they would walk 18 holes just bawling their eyes out, remembering their former life. And as I watch that, it's like, oh, man, that's, that's me. I think that's a lot of us. A lot of us walk around in this world with a, with a whole bunch of extra weight, extra baggage from the past. It's excruciating. It's painful, and it, it wears us out, drags us down. To that, Paul says, Jesus has rescued you from that, has rescued you from the power, the dominion of darkness, and brought you into the kingdom of Jesus, into the kingdom of light. You don't have to carry that around anymore. You don't. You've been rescued. You, you can let it go. You don't have to be plagued by regret. You don't have to be weighed down by guilt. You can let it go. You can drop it. You've been rescued. Yeah, Pastor Aaron, easy for you to say, right? Easy to say. Really hard to do. And most likely, we're not just going to be able to let it go. We're not just going to be able to drop it. We're not just going to be able to move on. Oh, yay, I'm free. I'm rescued. You know, some of the things in our past will need to be named and dealt with. And for a lot of us, probably with the help of a really good therapist. Right? And it, it's a long, painful, difficult process. Like, they had to walk 18 holes. They had to work months and months and months just to shed what they needed to shed. It takes time. But ultimately, we're free. We've been rescued. 
Like there's a sense in which this is a reality that has been finished and yet not fully realized. So how do we learn to live into this reality that is finished? We've been rescued. Jesus says, you're rescued. Paul says this in his letter to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened by a yoke of slavery. Let it go, he says. We've been set free, rescued, forgiven. Our identity isn't defined by those things, that extra junk that we carry around, our past. No, our Our foundation of our identity isn't in what we've done or what we haven't done. It's in what the divine has done for us. We've been rescued. But it doesn't end there. Two more ideas. Not only have we been rescued, I like this one, but we've been qualified. Jesus qualifies us. Paul says this, God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of the kingdom of light. Not only have we been rescued from that stuff, but in some sense, we've been qualified, made worthy to live as citizens in a different kingdom, the kingdom of light, right? Now, this idea of qualified, being qualified or being made worthy, I think is a a really interesting interesting idea. So let's, let's think of it this way. Have you ever done something to severely damage a relationship? Have you ever done something to hurt someone, you are a human being, so we're all in that boat, right? You've done something like, but think about what that does when that happens. It's almost like there's a distance between you and the person that you've hurt, right? You could be standing right next to them and feel like there's a distance there. You could be standing right next to them and there's like this thing that's right there. Sometimes we feel as though that we've done something to someone so bad. We're no longer qualified to be in a relationship. We're no longer worthy to stand next to them. We know what that feels like. Or think of it like this. Maybe it does nothing to do with what we've done or what we haven't done. Maybe, maybe we just have such a high view of someone. Like they're up here and we're down here. Like we have such a, a high view of someone that makes us feel like, like we're not qualified or we're not worthy to be in a relationship with them. Think of it this way. Can any of us just walk up to the White House, knock on the door, and be like, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to meet with Joey B. You know, we, you know, we're on a first name basis. You know, um, I like to just have a meeting with the President of the United States of America. No. None of us can do that. We can't just walk up to the door of the White House. We wouldn't make it that far anyway. Like how many gates and layers of protection are there? We wouldn't even get near, right? Why? Because none of us has done anything to be qualified for that. We're not worthy to just do that. Now think about this, the creator of the universe. We're not just talking about the president of the United States, that little little guy. We're not just talking about the president. We're talking about the creator of all there is. And sometimes because of the ways we've been taught, because of the things that have been said to us, sometimes we don't feel like we're worthy of God's presence. 
Or maybe we just have such a high view of God. God is way up there, and we're way down here. We wonder whether or not God wants to have anything to do with us at all. Maybe it's not about what we've done or what we haven't done. Maybe it's not about earning anything. Maybe God just makes it so. Because God is God. And God could do what God wants. Maybe God just makes us worthy. Says we're worthy. Maybe God just declares it. You are worthy. God has qualified us. Made us worthy to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the Son He loves. God qualifies us because God loves us and can't stand to be without us. Maybe that's it. What a thought. God cannot stand the distance. God's intimately involved in our lives, not because we've made ourselves worthy. God is intimately involved in our lives simply because God wants it. God loves it. You know what Jesus said one time? He said this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For God so loved the world that God became one of us. Couldn't stand the distance. So became one of us because of love. God just makes it so. Many of us have been taught, you're not worthy. Many of us have been taught, you're filthy sheep. Many of us have been taught. The list goes on. What if God just declares us worthy? Mm, Our identity, we've been rescued, qualified. One more idea, redeemed. Paul says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption. We've been redeemed, repaired, restored. Again, there's a sense in which this is accomplished and yet ongoing. This idea behind redemption is that we've been made useful. Again, think of an old 57 Chevy, right? repaired and restored to its original luster. Think about an old house that's been gutted and completely and entirely renovated. Think about an old rusty tool that's been fixed up and made useful again. I I think there's something to the reality that so many people find so much joy in taking something that's been broken down or beaten up or... Uh, and is just and just restoring it to its original beauty, like people find so much joy in that, and they have this special connection with this thing that they've just restored and made beautiful and useful again. Now think about your own life. Think about all the old junk and clutter being taken out, and you being completely made new, so that so that God can use you and work alongside of you for God's purposes. God has made us worthy and intimately involved in our lives now, and through redemption, God's inviting us to be 
intimately involved in what God is up to in the world. And I think this is what we've talked about this before. I think this is what's going on in the church today, right? Worldwide, but especially, especially here in the West, right? I think, I think God's stripping some stuff out. Even the church needs redeeming every once in a while. Even the church needs a little redemption, a little decluttering, a little stripping away of old ideas that, that were at once good for us, but now aren't, aren't necessarily good for us because we've learned more things. So I think God is stripping things away and making us new so that, so that we can be better prepared to work with what God is up to in the world. And sometimes that's a pain, painful, difficult, but necessary, good, and ultimately beautiful process. Our identity. Who are you? Who are you really? What's foundational? Our lives aren't defined by all the ways in which we've made a mess of things. We don't have to carry around that extra baggage anymore. Our identity, we've been qualified, just made worthy. God just declares it. You've been made worthy to be in a relationship with God. Our identity, we've been redeemed. We're being redeemed, being made useful again, invited to to get in on what God is up to in the world. That, that's who we are. Let's pray.